I took over this entire idea <laughs> and put it through the ringer in a way that I would do with a client, not knowing that there was emotional content that was wrapped up in this idea that had to do with our marriage and our family and our career decision and everything else that I was blind to at the time. And it ended up being nearly catastrophic. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. If you're not already a member of our community, please go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to join and receive the following five free benefits. The risk reduction checklist, my weekly investment research email to help you increase investment returns, a 25% discount on all A Stotts Academy courses, instant access to the Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, my curated list of the top 10 podcast episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Ryan Estes. Ryan, are you ready to rock? Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to tell the audience a little bit about you. And first of all, Ryan Estes is an American Buddhist entrepreneur. As the founder of KitCaster, a podcast booking agency, he facilitates thousands of extraordinary conversations. KitCaster serves more than 150 agency clients and is gearing up for its first software product this year. Ryan is an expert in leveraging podcasts for meaning and profitability. Ryan, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Thanks so much, Andrew. On top of that, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a martial artist. I'm also an avid outdoorsman and a lover of podcasts. I'm so happy to be here. That's amazing. And what martial art are you an expert in? Well, I wouldn't say martial art or an expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, are you good at? So I train capoeira. And I also train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I'm a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, you know, I've had some time off through the pandemic to really, I think, reorganize my attention into jiu-jitsu. So I'm really excited to go back to it. Mm. And what is it you like about it? It seems so violent. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's the violence that I like. You know, I think that violence gets painted a, a negative picture and rightfully so, <laughs> you mm. know, but violence is a part of our life. And I think having a positive experience with violence is really good. You know, I think it, it shows you how fragile we all are and allows you to discover, I think, empathy for people around you. I also really enjoy the violent embrace of other men <laughs> and women, you know, in a platonic sense. Mm. So I feel like it might tap into maybe my primate brain a little bit to just roll around with a really, you know, jujitsu is, is unique in the sense that it's a grappling sport. 
And as such, you can kind of give it a hundred percent. You know, you can go as hard as you possibly can. The other person can as well. And you have a relatively safe environment to do that. So mm. I think I enjoy the touch of other people, even though it is violence. And I also like to explore, you know, my own violent tendencies in a very positive and productive way. So fascinating. I never thought about it in that way. And, um, you know, I go back to the schoolyard where we had, you know, fights when we were kids. And then, you know, there's just something, there's something cathartic when you've had a fight with somebody and it's all of a sudden it's gone, you know, the anger, the frustration or whatever. That's pretty fascinating. You know, and there's another angle about this that makes me think I live in a culture here in Thailand where confrontation is simply not allowed. It is frowned hmm. upon. It is not, you know, you will not hear people yelling. You won't even hear people honking horns. People do not confront each other. They live in a more, let's say, harmonious way of living together. However, that doesn't mean that they don't have violence. And that doesn't mean that they don't have that true disagreement. It just means that they're not allowed to settle it through that confrontation. And the result of that is that it, it comes out in different ways. I mean, first of all, when violence does come out, it's just very brutal. But the second part is that it gets rechanneled into fiefdoms and power. And rather than duking it out, let's say, in the, in the management team meeting between two sides, they'll never confront. And instead, they'll go and build their fiefdom of people, their followers, and then you get these factions within companies and within society that will never, ever resolve the issue. And that is such a fascinating dynamic. And now you've kind of reminded me of the cathartic nature of confrontation, whether that's physical yeah. or mental and emotional, that there's some value there. It's, it's a different, you know, different way of thinking here. But you remind me about that. Yeah, I've got a couple of takes on that. You know, that's, I'll have to take your word for it because I haven't been to Thailand, but I also know that they have one of the most extraordinary martial arts disciplines in the world in Muay Thai yep. that is ripe with ritual and music and ceremony and in all of these things. And one thing that I'm really interested in in martial arts is the ability to evict, kind of a, evict, Evoke, evoke mm. is a better word. Yep. Evoke a flow state. And the flow state might be, you know, synonymous of like when you saw like Michael Jordan back in the day and his like tongue came out and he's moving in slow motion and he moves right around somebody. Well, in a way, martial arts, particularly competitive martial arts, is kind of a technology to evoke flow state. And when done correctly with opponents, then they both enter kind of a state of group flow. And there's a dance, you know, they, they call boxing the sweet science, you know. So through this incredibly violent act that has real repercussions, especially in, in Muay Thai, like you can get mm. really hurt doing yeah. that. But it creates a certain experience that kind of transcends. It's just a, it's an altered conscious state you know? And so there's, there's a pursuit of that. Mm. And then the other side of it is, you know, we all have this fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. 
that is innate in our biology. And you really don't know which one of the three you're going to get when you come under stress. And there's a great quote that I think comes from the Marine Corps that says, you know, you don't, you don't rise to the challenge, you fall to the level of your training. And so, <laughs> and so by training, you know, this, this mechanism where you put yourself in a position of fight, flight, or freeze over and 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 over again. It gives you maybe a little bit better barometer of how you might, you know, operate when you're really under that kind of stress, mm. you know? So Interesting. <laughs> yep. as kind of a, a risk aversion tactic, it's not a bad idea, you know, to put yourself there and practice and, and see what you can do. Well, speaking of fight, flight, or freeze, many of the people I invite to come on this show, they are in flight mode. They run away. The second one, and they, they do so with a, with a parting message usually. Some of them freeze and don't know what to do, so they don't reply. And finally, a small, rare group decide they're going to fight, and they're going to tell the story of their worst investment ever. And now it is your time to tell us that story. And since no one ever goes into that story thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it, and then tell us your story. Absolutely. I would absolutely love to. So over the last 10 years, I've been the owner-operator of a media and marketing agency called Talk Launch in Denver. And I ran it largely with, with my wife. And over the years, doing paid media, whether that's like search or social media, organic social content, building websites, you know, basically a, a digital agency, you know, we learned a lot. One of the things that we also specialized in was crowdfunding campaigns. And we would help launch brands through Kickstarter or kind of those kind of campaigns and, and raise money. And so we, we really became experts in building a brand, validating the brand, gaining traction and scaling. And so as kind of the business matured, there were certain things that were unsavory about the business. <laughs> and largely that would be a client load, you know, and perhaps people can relate to that, that, you know, if you're working with clients, you might find yourself heavily leveraged where you really need that client relationship, but they might be completely out of their mind. On top of that, they might be kind of mean, you know, and they might mistreat you, but because the, the relationship is so important to the nature of your business, you're stuck to them. Mm. And because I worked with my wife, you know, and we have two children, that conversation, that frustration would spill over the dinner table, you know, of like these clients that were torturing us. And we knew they were torturing us intentionally. They knew they had that boot on our neck, you know, and there was really little we could do. But because we were, you know, kind of experts in like, trying to figure out products that would, that would be successful and, and how to launch them, we started out launching products and to varying degrees of success <laughs> and mostly not success, you know, we went about that. So my wife was basically managing the day-to-day -day operations of the, the agency and I was out there validating ideas. 
And one of the ideas that my wife had was for a skincare company, specifically uh, a deodorant, a natural deodorant company. And she was really excited and she came up with this like really cool formula that worked really well. And we used it, you know, and it was like, okay, well, this is kind of ready to go. And she was excited about launching it. So I'll skip to the end of the story, then backfill. I took over this entire idea (laughs) and put it through the ringer in a way that I would do with a client, not knowing that there was emotional content that was wrapped up in this idea that had to do with our marriage and our family and our career decision and everything else that I was blind to at the time. And it ended up being nearly catastrophic. Mm. So that's the end of the story. But I'll back up a little bit and just kind of walk through it. So she had a great idea for formulation. And so we set about our validation process, which is, you know, let's let's find 100 people that'll buy it. So, you know, I'm big on one-on-one interviews. So we put it together. We interviewed people. The idea and direction that she had had for the, the product wasn't necessarily resonating with them, but the, they liked the idea of a natural deodorant. We sent out samples. Based on the feedback, I, <laughs> I took the idea, I rebranded the idea without consulting my wife, the founder of the company, built the website, put everything together, and launched the company. The company was having middling successes. I was looking to expand the line and finding less and less interest from from my wife. You know, she she at that point was kind of like, I couldn't figure out what the problem was and why she wasn't so engaged with this company that that was starting to build traction. At the same time, I I was, you know, speaking with some of the founders of Native Deodorant, which was on a similar trajectory. And I felt like being that it's a perishable product that has real opportunities to scale, particularly with a a small team, you know, all I saw was dollar signs. And so I started running at it and the business kind of came to a head outside of a Whole Foods down here in Denver, where we live, where we were kind of handing out samples and, you know, and you know how a wife will do, she kind of let me know in uncertain terms that, I had destroyed her dream and ruined <laughs> this product. <laughs> now, but I'm here also, to help. Yeah, I'm here. I'm to just help. here I'm to help. To do the best I can. So, you know, to add a little bit of context, our children are in elementary school still, and the pressure from the agency. Of course, we have all our responsibilities there, mm. and we're really looking for a way out. So on my side, if I was to rationalize it, it's like, hey, you know, I have a certain skill set that I can rush this thing to market. I can, I can get us in a position. I, you know, I'm thinking about paying for college, and I'm, I'm thinking about like putting her face on the side of the box and and this and that. But I think what was really important to her was that like we were going to have a project that we worked on together, where <laughs> I had been, you know, where I had been working on these other projects, you know, software and goods and, and services and things. And she'd been, she had been working on the agency and, you know, kind of two ships passing in the night, although, you know, we were shoulder to shoulder, you know, there's, there's a certain loneliness 
that can happen in a marriage if you're not careful. And it's more acute than something that happens if you're actually by yourself. Mm. And I think we were, we were falling into that. And I think for her, it's, she saw it as a creative project that would be collaborative and that we could work on together and, and have fun with. And, you know, once I got a little scent of the cash involved, I really ran at it with gusto and kind of steamrolled over her. So that yep. was my experience. Now, the ending of the project was basically a conciliation of like, listen, an apology. You know, yeah. I blew it. You know, I blew the whole thing of this project. I, I think it has it has legs. We have customers. But, you know, let's let's not do this. You know, and so I let it go and maybe like a lot of your listeners, and I've listened to a bunch of your podcast episodes, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of your worst investments, there's always like a, a big grain of wisdom that comes out of that. And one of them was just to, to really honor and respect my marriage and, and <laughs> not to be too blinded by my ambition. So, mm. so that let's, was, uh, let's, let's review but before we go through these lessons, which I think that first one about honoring is great. Can you remember like the worst day between you and your wife that there was from this whole experience? Yeah, it really was in front of Whole Foods, us arguing with a, with a tray of deodorant of all the ridiculous things. Mm. But the, the argument was acute enough that it, it did freeze in my memory that I can I can, I, I know how the shadows looked on the garden box that we were sitting as we were arguing, you know, <laughs> that kind of, that kind and of were you Were you at the point where you could see what she was saying or were you at a defensive point at that time? You know, I was definitely at a defensive point. For me, it's always coming back. I'm a fiery person. So in the moment, you know, oftentimes I find myself trying to win a point it's not until retrospect that I'm like, oh boy, I was being an asshole. Like, oh geez, you know. So, you know, in the moment, you know, it's like I felt kind of like irritated and like because I had my set of goals and priorities, and not yep. that they're like to be diminished, but sometimes, you know, the bigger picture is is more important than mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So, how would you summarize the lessons that you learned? Uh, you mentioned the first one was I wrote down, which is honor your relationship. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, particularly as like people are working from home and entrepreneurship becomes more and more available for everybody. And in relationships, in marriages, you might have somebody's career who catches fire and it makes sense for the other partner to contribute and work. Mm. in the relationship. I think it's it's really good idea to to keep track of when the day ends <laughs> but also to understand clearly like what you're doing. I think I lost sight of that. I think mm. I saw, you know, this is an opportunity to be a next chapter in our life and was kind of intoxicated by the idea itself whereas for her it was like a place for us to connect. Right. And, and the, the exact opposite happened. So, right. you know, I think, I think a, a lesson maybe to take away is people are starting to think about going into business with their partner. I really actually do recommend it. I think there's, mm-hmm. there's great ways to do it 
but I think the, the way to do it successfully is to realize and articulate, you know, in conversation, all the ways it could go bad, mm. you know, yep. like how, how could this be catastrophic for our relationship? Yep. And, yep. Yep. you know, especially with, with couples, you know, like you have to protect that relationship. Sure. you got a 10 million business, $10 million business idea. Fantastic. But, you know, a deep connection in a, in a family is worth so much more than that, you know? Yep. So even itemize the ways that it might be catastrophic and, and go, go bad is probably time well spent because you'll see how kind of naturally your outcomes and are, are misaligned, mm. you know, and um, you can fix it. Yep. Well, let me summarize a few things I take away. It reminds me of the story of my business partner, Dale, and I here in Thailand. We started a coffee business and it's a factory and Dale's been running it for 25 years and we're equal shareholders. And, you know, I have my opinions, but the truth is I'm outside of the business. So I've always, you know, told my opinions, but, you know, not too forcefully because I don't know what's happening on the front line that he's dealing with. But also in the beginning of our business, we said to each other, if this business ever was had the risk of damaging our relationship, we're going to shut it down. And that was kind of our way of putting our friendship above the business. And by doing that and agreeing upon that, it really allowed us to stay together through that thick and thin. And I think that the words that you said, I think really great for the listeners out there, honor your relationships, you know, like you just don't drag your relationship through just whatever your next idea is, you know, instead think about it and also understand the other thing I'd take away. So the first thing I took away is, you know, kind of reminding me of that story of Dale and myself. The second thing that I think is good for the listeners is the idea of honoring your relationship. And then the third thing is understand, particularly when it comes to a husband and wife, that they both probably want different things out of that experience. And if you haven't clarified that, then it's just a train wreck because as a typical man, you know, we're kind of focused on action and results. Whereas for, I'm not going to say typical woman, because I don't know that, but I know for a typical man, but I would say for a woman or maybe in your wife's case, it's more about the journey and the experience. And if you go at it, with action and outcomes and somebody else is looking for experience and the journey. Yeah. It's a disaster. Those are things that I took away from it. Anything you would add to that? Oh, I feel like that's so wise. And there's so many parallels between a marriage and a business relationship. You know, if you have a relationship, let's say your marriage, obviously, is very mm. important. You want to protect it. But you have a business relationship with someone, maybe a trusted partner. Obviously, like differences are going to arise. Ideas are going to differ. But the value of somebody who understands you and is, is important to you from a business side is incredibly important and possibly more important than any <laughs> revenue outcome, you know, mm. there's strength in numbers. The idea that you can go it alone or that, you know, relationships are something to protect, even if there's a loss, 
because out of that loss, hopefully you can find something better. If you have a spouse, if you have a partner, if you have a business partner, somebody that compliments you and you found a certain rhythm, like that's to be cherished and protected. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. That's something that like, like what you talked about having maybe some guidelines, like, Hey, we know that especially entrepreneurs, we're going to be fiery. We might be manic at times. Mm. We might be out of our minds. We might not be able to articulate our ideas, but we just need to work it out. Like all that's okay, but protect the relationship. I think that's, that's really important and it pays in the end. Yeah, I think that's a huge takeaway. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, let's think about that young person that's in a relationship right now. and They're stuck at home or they're trying to create some value together. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? You know, I would, I would go into it, into a conversation with certain parameters, <laughs> certain rules, and talk about worst case scenarios. Mm. You know, I would say, what does it look like if we break up and the business is successful? What does it mean if I want to make a decision and you don't? Who gets the final say? Yep. Have an exit strategy. Have a way out that you've predetermined that if things go a certain way, and if you can stomach it, be as dark and horrible as things we know get. You know, if it's a, if it's a marriage, like you don't want to think about divorce, but like think about like what what are your real intentions? If it's a marriage, yep. if it's a business relationship, you know, hey, if everything goes south, how do we work this out? Those are important conversations to have early mm-hmm. on and uncomfortable. So I would suggest that being a veteran of these kind of conversations, you set parameters and you say, hey. If we need to take a shot or something, or we need to like stop talking about this, it could be a process yep. because it can really like evoke some, some pretty powerful emotions. And, and that doesn't have to be resolved in one conversation, particularly if you have big emotions springing up. It's probably best to say, you know, hey, I have some things that are welling up right now. Like, let's pause and come back to this conversation. But again, like we were talking about jujitsu in like fight, flight, or or freeze, like put yourself in that situation because you're probably going to be there. Yeah, it's going (laughs) to happen. It's going to happen one day, one at one time. So you know, practice it out of respect to your partner, especially out of respect to your partner. If things go south in a negative way, that you can hopefully Mm -hmm. manage your own self with dignity, so you you don't have regret because things change. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it there from Ryan. Explore worst case scenarios. And what better place to do it than to go to myworstinvestmentever.com and listen to some of the past episodes. In fact, you can search startup and you'll find many of the stories of people that had failures in startups. So let me ask you, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Next 12 months is to grow Kitcaster into an absolute behemoth. So what that looks for like for me right now is to stretch it out to about a $2.5 million run rate. That's what I'm focused on in the next 12 yep. months. Exciting. And for the listeners out there who are either podcasters themselves or you know high level CEOs or others that want to get on podcasts, 
what should they do in, in relation to Kitcaster and your business? Absolutely. If you are interested in podcasting, even in a casual sense, the secret with me is I love to talk about podcasting. <laughs> so mm. you can go to kitcaster.com. We have an application there. Fill it out. Now, if you are a funded startup founder, if you are an entrepreneur with exits, if you are a C-suite level executive, these are the people we serve. Mm. We put them on the world's top podcasts so that you can share your story. You can grow professionally and personally through expressing your story and you can create assets for your brand to grow and thrive. So kitcaster.com is the best place to kind of learn more. Beautiful. And we look forward to your exciting growth. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listeners, increase, return, and reduce risk in your life. To achieve this goal, I've created the free membership group with five free benefits I mentioned earlier. Just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to join. As we conclude, Ryan, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I just appreciate being on the show so much. This was fantastic. Thanks for letting me tell the story. Great having you on. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to just add a little parting words. Honor your relationships. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.